Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'll be joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson in a little bit, but we have a lot to get to this week. So we're just going to jump right into things. And first up are our way too early draft updates. So my remaining player, Chase Deloiter, um, James Madison played against Longwood University midweek. And Deloitte went two for four with a double, three walks, and a strikeout. And then over the weekend, they played Elon University, and he went four for 11 with a homer, four stolen bases in four attempts, five walks, and three strikeouts. So all in all, so far on the season, he is hitting in 20 games, 437, 582, 775 with six homers, 10 stolen bases, 24 walks, and 19 strikeouts. All right, so this is Lucas. It's my turn to do the uh, draft update for my guys this week. Um, I got some good news and some bad news. Uh, the bad news is that Dylan Beavers did not have a very good week. His average is all the way down to 255. I think when we talked last week, it was 280-something or maybe even close to 300. Um, now his line is down to 255, 353, 588. Uh, in three games this week, uh, as of Sunday afternoon, I believe Cal is still playing their Sunday game. Uh, out on the West Coast. Uh, he's gone 2 for 12 with 5 strikeouts. So not really what you want to see 
not even necessarily against premium competition here. Like Arizona State isn't a bad team, but the rest of the Cal lineup is feasting and Beavers is uh, not not having a good run of it here. Um, still tied for 13th with 10 home runs uh, across the NCAA. So in the hunt for the home run crown, certainly, and, and the overall body of work is still good, but um, not a great, not a great week for him. And, and frankly, he needed to just keep stringing together pretty great weeks to push his draft stock up. So uh, still looking at a second round ish type grade for him. Um, and I'm certainly not going to overreact to a, to a bad three game stretch, right? This is just how college baseball stats are. It's not the hugest sample size. One bad week can really sway things. So um, still just a, a monitor. And, and if the Mets can grab him with one of their extra picks in the comp round or the second, uh, that'd be great. Brock Porter, on the other hand, is the good news because he finally pitched. And oh boy, did he pitch. Uh, Brock Porter showed up. All the scouts are out there because everyone's chomping at the bit to see some Michigan baseball. And yesterday he went out and threw a no-hitter against a reasonably good uh, uh, opponent in Detroit Catholic Center or Center Catholic. I forget the exact order on that. Um, hit 98, settled, settled in at 92 or 95 for most of the outing. Uh, recall, if you will, that he's got a pretty projectable frame, so you'd expect that sit velocity to creep up as he adds some mass and gets older. Um, the most impressive secondary he was showing was his slider. And remember that the most his best secondary coming into the season was a changeup, and that was one of the big reasons I was in on him early because you don't often see really good high school arms with excellent changeups. Um, it was a little odd this year that uh, both the top arm by far in Dylan Lesko and Porter, who is in in the conversation for the second best arm in the class, uh, are both high schoolers that feature really great changeups. Um, but now his slider is, is, is flashing plus, right? And was really great in this outing. Um, so that's, that's something to monitor. Certainly. I think that could push his stock up a little bit as well. Um, and I certainly think he's in the conversation for one of the Mets two first round picks. Uh, I do want to note something. Um, so, so I know enough and we can see enough to, to judge, um, the command and you can see the velocity and you can see that the slider's good. Um, there are some concerns regarding his fastball characteristics. This is only something I've read. Um, I don't know where this report is coming from exactly. Um, whether someone had tracking data on his fastball or, uh, whether the there's more trained scouts who have more uh, some concern about his fastball shape. When we say characteristics, we mean things like spin or his vertical or attack, uh, attack angle, things like that. Um, so take all of this with a grain of salt because I don't know exactly where this uh, uh, report is coming from. But if that were the case, I'd be a little concerned. Um, so, I mean, at least for now, I'm, I'm still very happy with it. I mean, either a no-hitter, what could you want? Um, I mean, that's the other thing, right? It's difficult to make a visual scout uh, and say, yeah, his fastball characteristics suck right after he throws a no-hitter in, in basically his first uh, uh, big start of the year. Um, so uh, stock up, glad to see him uh, uh, out there finally after weeks of waiting, and uh, uh, hopefully we see more good stuff as time goes on. I do also want to sneak in just a little mention here about the most recent, recent excuse me, Baseball America mock draft. Um so this was a couple days back, and they had the Mets taking uh, not Brock Porter, but a different high school uh, arm 
in a uh, Noah Schultz at pick number 11. And I have to say, Schultz, I know I picked Porter early on as my prep follow, but, but Schultz is probably now my second favorite uh, high school arm in this class. Uh, big lefty, Randy Johnson size and mo uh, motion. I'm not saying it's going to be Randy Johnson, just that the, the body looks like Randy Johnson. But he throws strikes. He's good secondaries. He was pushing 98 in this start. There's a lot to like there. Um, so the Mets were able to grab him. I'd be ecstatic. If it was Porter, I'd also be pretty happy. But um, that was a really exciting pick. And then at 14, they were going. They went Chase DeLauder. And I'm... I think I was a little lower on the lauder during our initial discussions, or I don't even remember what my initial comments were, but I'm I'm pretty all in on him at this point. I know he had a really bad first series, but I think the swing decisions are real. The contact quality is good. Um, so if this is how the draft shakes out for the Mets, uh, hell yeah. But we'll see what happens. This, we're still a couple of months out, and this is just a mock draft. So um, just wanted to sneak that note in there, and well, I'm sure we'll talk about the mock drafts as we get closer to draft time. Um, so that's my draft update for this week. So this past week uh, was a very, very good week for Jace Jung. <clears throat> he played two games against Stephen F. Austin and uh, just completely obliterated them. <laughs> he went six for nine with one homer, four extra base hits, Two walks against two strikeouts. Um, now, Stephen F. Austin is a much smaller school in a uh, less Howard the uh, conference, but they're they're still a Division One team. Still impressive to to beat up on them like that. Uh, he followed that up with three at Kansas, in which he also obliterated Kansas. <laughs> he went six for eleven with two homers, three extra base hits, and three walks against no strikeouts. So now in the season, Jung has continued his, you know, war path towards the top of the uh, 2022 MLB draft uh, and is now hitting 400, 538, 745 in 110 at-bats with eight homers, 21 extra base hits, and 30 walks against 17 Ks. Mm -hmm. Uh, so not only is his stock likely to be a little higher than it was, not that it can go much higher, but um, I think it's a pretty safe bet at this point to say he's, if not uh, the outright best college position player in this year's draft, um, definitely the top, you know, maybe two, maybe three. So uh, Jace Jung still looking like, uh, you know, he's not going to be around for the Mets when they pick at 11. Uh, Cam Collier, on the other hand, has continued to kind of struggle as he um, they get into their the meat and potatoes of their schedule. Uh, Collier and uh, Chipola played a total of four games, uh, two at Gulf Coast State College and two versus at home, uh, the same opponent, Gulf Coast State College. In the first game, they went one. Uh, the first two games, uh, that he went one for eight with a double, a walk, and two strikeouts. And in the following two games, he went one for nine with a double and three strikeouts. So he's now, um, he's really struggled since they've, they've opened conference play. Uh, his numbers take a you know dramatic downturn if you look at the, the conference splits. But in total, 
on the season. He's hitting 290, 407, 473 in 162 plate appearances. And has hit six home runs, 12 extra base hits, walked 24 times, and struck out 25. So there's still some things to like there. He um, was basically rocking a one-to-one, walk-to-strikeout ratio. Uh, The season line still is pretty good, especially considering he's, you know, barely out of high school, playing against much older people, as we've said the last few weeks. And, um, you know, I I don't know how important the stats necessarily are. He's basically still a prep player, or, you know, age-wise, he is more or less um, that of a prep player instead of a juco player. And, you know, haven't heard anything about, you know, the the swing having changed or or anything like that. So uh, I'd say unchanged from the last few weeks, maybe a slightly lower just because of um, continued struggles against conference opponents. This week's way too early draft update for me. Um, Both of my players had really strong weeks. Uh, Brandon Berea pitched in just one game, but he struck out 13 over five innings. Um, he gave up a run, but also, I mean, he gave up one run and struck out 13 over five. Like, that's fine. You'll take that trade off. Um, it was an 11-1 win, so he didn't have any of that weird unearned fun stuff that he's been dealing with recently. So it was just a very strong performance for him. Um, that was the only game he pitched this week, it seems. Um, yeah, the last time he pitched was the 22nd before this, before this week. So, yeah, I mean, overall, you will take that outing every single time. And Gavin Cross, he had a strong week because if you remember, um, he his average dipped below three hundred for the first time all season. So I think it was two ninety nine or two ninety eight or something like that. It was like something right on the boundary. But this week his average flew all the way back up to, um, his average flew all the way back up to uh, three fifteen. Um, he's still rocking a four one four on base percentage, and he has a six oh seven slugging. It's interesting, his home runs are down. Um, He only has four um, this year compared to his last full year. He had 11 and 234 plate appearances. He only has four through 104. But I think that's kind of uh, of what's like happenstance almost. Um, He has six doubles. He has four triples, which is very nice to see the speed there. Um, Only two steals, but, I mean, stolen bases are kind of – that's not going to be his bag at his height. I mean, at his – size at six three two fifteen, but um yeah he's just hitting really well it was a nice bounce back week after a few weeks that saw him steadily get his his season long numbers get a little worse and get a little worse he bounced back up and had a really strong week this week so that's always what you want to see from your guys and um i think he's going to be one of the top picks in the draft i wouldn't even be surprised if he goes a little before 10 if some team gets a little spicy we'll see but it's been a strong week for both of my players all right, so the minor league season is literally a few days away now, with Syracuse starting on Tuesday against the Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders, and then everybody else on Friday: Binghamton against the Hartford Yard Goats, Brooklyn against the Wilmington Blue Rocks, and St. Lucie against the Daytona Tortugas. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how we each individually thought uh, teams in the system were going to do, and obviously a lot of that has to do with who is rostered where. So this week, the four of us are going to give our predictions as to where players are going to be assigned. Dealing with over 100 players, it's a little much. 
So we're just going to deal with the main players, our top 25 prospects. We're going to go up and down the list and guess, though in a couple of cases we already know, but um, we're going to guess where these players are going to be assigned and then um, what we want to see from them. So we'll start off with our top prospect, Francisco Alvarez, and he's going to start the season in Binghamton after dominating in Brooklyn last year. And he's probably going to be on the roster with Nick Meyer, and I think those two would be a good catching duo. Uh, Alvarez isn't a bad defender. Like I said, when I first saw him in Kingsport, he's surprisingly good for someone, A, his age, and B, his body type. But Meyer, he's known for being more glove-oriented. And if he can help Alvarez with anything you know, that he needs to work on, specifically framing and blocking a little bit with his uh, one need set up now, that would be great. Number two guy, Bird Beatty. Uh, Beatty split the season about 60-40 last year with Brooklyn and Binghamton. And he probably could start in Syracuse, but he's going to start the year in Binghamton. And honestly, I'd like to see him get more reps in the outfield. Uh, Binghamton would be a good place to do that since A, obviously there's a lot of outfielders in AAA already, but also because B, we know he could handle AA pitchers and won't have to deal with the, the stress and confusion and whatever else of learning a new position, or, or I should say working at a less um, familiar position and facing tougher hitters at the same time. Beatty is surprisingly athletic, um, though I guess it really shouldn't come as much as a surprise as it sounds because he did play a lot of football and basketball in high school, but it doesn't really manifest itself at third base. Um, but I think he could be a halfway decent corner outfielder with more reps. Uh, he's a more competent third baseman, and obviously there's always first base if neither work, but I think he could establish himself as a slightly below average or scratch average defender in a corner, and that would actually be really beneficial because it would help the Mets' need in and of itself. Um, but it would also alleviate the third base logjam that we're possibly going to have, so we'll see. Number three, Ronnie Mauricio. He's going to be assigned to Binghamton, where he ended last year. And he put up great numbers over his eight games in Binghamton in 2021, but those were just eight games. So here's hoping that he could hit 323, 364, 52 all uh, over the course of the entire season. But uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't set my watch on it. Strikeouts were an issue for him last year, so I'd like to see the swing from both sides smooth out a little bit. Uh, hopefully that would help with the average and obviously would reduce some of the strikeouts. Viento, Mark Vientos, number four. He's going to start the year with Syracuse. The team really doesn't have a, a first baseman or a third baseman, so preferably Vientos gets as much time at third base before Brett Beatty eventually joins him. Um, but yeah, I mean, same thing as Mauricio. You know, the, the strikeouts were a little bit of an issue, so I'd like to see Vientos just kind of work on that. We know that his... Historic, I guess, weakness has been stuff down and away and breaking balls. So working on that pitch recognition will be uh, very important for him. Number five, Matthew Allen. And we know that Allen is going to spend the majority of the season recovering from Tommy John surgery that he had last May and then the ulnar transposition surgery that he had in January. So the exact timetable is hard to say, but... I think he'll probably be making some appearances by the end of the summer when he's, you know, hopefully healthy and everything like that. 
But however many pitches he makes, however many innings he throws, however many appearances he makes, I think whatever he does do will be in St. Lucie. Our number six prospect, JT Ginn. Obviously, Ginn is no longer the system. But for whatever it's worth, I assume that he's going to start the year with the Midland Rockhounds, which is Oakland's double-A team. Because if he was in the system, still, he would be uh, with the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, the Mets' double-A team. Number seven, Khalil Lee. Uh, Lee's going to repeat the season in Syracuse, where he played last year. And here's hoping that he continues the, the torrid pace that he set last year after getting sent back down. Um, and, you know, I assume that he's going to get uh, another call-up in 2022. And here's hoping that he makes the most of it. Number eight, Nick Plummer. Basically, everything that I just said about Khalil Lee applies to Nick Plummer. He's going to be a start in Syracuse. Hopefully, he's able to keep the gains going that he established last year. He's going to get a major league call at some point, and hopefully he makes the most of it. Number nine, Alexander Ramirez. And Ramirez did well in St. Lucie. Um, I, I see no real reason to have him start the season there. So up to Brooklyn, uh, he goes. I am a little worried, though, that he might struggle uh, making contact there. And we've spoken about how something's pushing a guy a little too much, a little too hard is counterproductive. So I actually would have him held back a little bit. I'd have him participate in, in extended spring training. And then eventually, you know, either he shows that he belongs on an actual roster or, you know, by the time extended spring training peters out, then I would bump him to Brooklyn. But no reason to have him in St. Lucie. Either way. Number 10, Jalen Palmer. And Palmer spent about two-thirds of the 2021 season in St. Lucie and then like the last month and a half or so with Brooklyn. So I expect him to start with Brooklyn and spend the majority of the season there. And the family lives in Canarsie, which is like a half hour by car, hour by bus. So I'm sure that he prefers being in Brooklyn anyway. Um... You know, last year he walked plenty, but making contact and making strong contact was an issue at St. Lucie and in Brooklyn. So I'd want to really see him work on pitch recognition and leveling that swing a little bit to make better contact. Our number 11 prospect, Hayden Sanger. Um, he's going to be in Syracuse. And the, the, the Syracuse catching, catching position is, situation, excuse me, is not particularly good at all. Um, Nick Dinney is intriguing, but he only played like 30 games last year. And Patrick Mazeka, he's barely a catcher, so it looks like Sanger it is. And Sanger really only has like a half season of games under his belt last year. So I'm hoping Sanger is the primary catcher, Dinney is the secondary, and Mazeka is like the emergency catcher slash first baseman, but knowing the Mets, they're probably going to reverse things inexplicably because they seem to like Mazeka for reasons that I really can't explain, but here we are. Number 12, Calvin Ziegler. And the Mets have been hyping him up, but I think they are going to cool the Jets and get him on uh, a more a more conservative developmental track since he's from Canada and... He got caught up in losing time because of COVID and everything like that. So I think I send him to uh, extended spring training and to start the year. And 
he winds up on the GCO Mets roster once they break camp. Depending on how things go, though, I could see him not spending a lot of time with the GCO Mets and um, getting sent to St. Lucie by the end of the year. Number 13, Eric Orzi. I think he's going to start in Syracuse. And I'm not going to be as um, bold as Thomas was in his prediction last week and say that he's going to become a mainstay in the Mets' bullpen. But I definitely think that he's going to get a call up at some point. Um, we're only talking like 10 games, but he did struggle with his command in Syracuse last year. Um, so here's hoping that whatever was causing him an issue at the time, it's in the rearview mirror now. For what it's worth, he was in Binghamton for about the same amount of time that he was in Syracuse. And he didn't have any of those uh, command and walk issues. So hopefully it was just a little uh, a little mirage. Number 14, Jake Mangum. And I think that Mangum is going to start the year in Binghamton. But he definitely deserves to start in Syracuse. That outfield is super crowded, though. So I think Mangum is going to be the odd man out for a little bit. Um, with Janushu Fargus and Travis Janikowski and Khalil Lee and Nick Plummer and everybody. And, and even Travis Blankenhorn a little bit um, since he can play the outfield. All those guys being rostered. For at least the beginning of the season until, you know, the early injuries and releases and all those cycles take place. But once he does get bumped up, man, that outfield is going to really be, defensively anyway, really good. I mean, imagine Mangum, Khalili, and Nick Plummer. They're all really good defenders, all in that same outfield. That should be uh, death to all flying things. Number 15, Adam Aller. He's also no longer in the organization. Uh, he did win the Oakland fifth starter job, so congratulations to him, and we'll see how long he can keep it going, but if nothing else, he's going to get himself a raise and all that, so good for him. A guy that was on nobody's uh, radar and, you know, kind of came back from the ashes. Number 16, Dominic Hamill. The Mets mainly let him rest last year. He only logged a handful of innings with the FCL Mets. Uh, but I, I think that they're going to bump him up and have him skip low A completely since conceivably he could have and, you know, I don't want to say should have pitched the last season. I don't know what was going on. Maybe he just needed to rest, whatever. But if he was able to pitch an entire half season last year, he would have been doing it in St. Lucie. Um because, you know, if he's from Dallas Baptist, that's a solid baseball school, they're in a solid conference, all that stuff. I think now that when he is able to get on the field this season, it should be in high A. He should be challenged. Number 17, Jose Budo. He split the season last year between Brooklyn and Binghamton, and he should start in Binghamton this year. Um, he was actually a lot better when he got his promotion, so that's good to see. But he's really going to need to tighten up the curveball in order to make it to AAA as a useful pitcher. Because, you know, you can get away with a fastball combination, uh, a fastball changeup combination in the lower minors, especially when you have as good a changeup as his is. But his curveball is very eh. And in the upper levels of the minors, you 100% need a third pitch in order to be a viable pitcher. So, you know, the development of that curveball is going to be key to his future. Number 18, Josh Walker. And he had a breakout year last year. 
um, split between Brooklyn, Binghamton, and Syracuse. He was much better at the first two stops than he was at the last. So he should start at Syracuse. And really, he needs to work on just missing advanced bats. Um, none of his pitches are much better than average. And a lot of times, guys like that, they, they peak in AAA. So here's hoping that Walker is able to do whatever it is that he needs to do in order to get that little extra edge and, um, you know, make him a solid AAA option and MLB depth starter. Though when I mean depth, I mean like super, super far back, like ninth or 10th option, you know. Number 19, Thomas Zipucky. And he made 10 so-so starts in Syracuse last year before missing the rest of the season. And right back to Syracuse he goes. The Mets do need a solid left-handed reliever. And I think we basically started the Meg Zipucky a multi-inning left-handed reliever bandwagon a while ago. So here's hoping maybe 2022 is the year. Number 20, Brian Matoire. He spent the majority of the season with Brooklyn, where he put his uh, name on the map. And then he got a cup of coffee in Binghamton, where he's going to start. And the strikeout rate has been tremendous, but so has the walk rate. So his key to 2022 is just going to be working on his command. Our 21st prospect, Junior Santos. He had a, a fairly disappointing season last year, but it was far from objectively bad. And, you know... I don't think that he has much to gain from starting the season with St. Lucie again, where he pitched last year. Although I could see it, and I wouldn't necessarily be mad, but I just think that he would be, it would, it would be better for his development to see him in Brooklyn. Uh, the, his pitches were just too hittable last year, and Brooklyn is a good place to work on changing grips or whatever to induce more ground balls and, um, get balls that are hit in the air to be hit for less power, you know, so he gives up fewer homers. Plus, I just want to see him in Brooklyn, you know. I want to see that. I, I made that prediction last week that they're going to have a really good rotation, and I think Santos, if, his, if he's on, he can be uh, a guy that would put up tremendous numbers in Brooklyn. Number 22, Travis Blankenhorn. And he... Wasn't ready for the majors last year, but he was solid in Syracuse for about 50 games, about 200 bats, and he's definitely deserving of another shot eventually. Um, he factors into the Mets' long-term plans better than Matt Reynolds or Tsue Lin, so I'd assume that he's the starting Syracuse second baseman until the Mets need him because he's basically as close to a finished product as he's ever going to be. Our 23rd prospect, Carlos Cortez. He spent the entire season with Binghamton last year. He was so-so. And there's a... Like I like I said before, in regards to Jake Mangum, there's, there's a big logjam of Syracuse outfielders. So that's going to impact Cortez, too. Um, I'm not a fan of Cortez. He really doesn't have any redeeming baseball qualities other than he has a little bit of pop when he makes connects when you know when he when he makes contact. But the Mets like him, so I think they're gonna want to give him every day at bats instead of giving him a bench role. So I think he starts the year in Binghamton, uh, at least to start the year anyway, so he can get regular at bats. Um he hit two fifty seven and had a three thirty two OBP there last year. So, it, it, you know, it's not like he really demolished Binghamton, the, excuse me, not like he really demolished AA or anything anyway. So it's either that or ride the bench in Syracuse, and I don't think they want to have him ride the bench in Syracuse. Or they could give him the second gloves second baseman's glove again, but again, I don't think the Mets want to do that. So 
Outfield in Binghamton again, it is. Number 24, Levi David. And he didn't pitch at all professionally last year after getting drafted. But since he was, you know, only so-so on a mid-tier team in a mid-level conference, I think he should be starting in St. Lucie as opposed to a guy like Dominic Hamill, who I think should be pushed a little more. Um, Improving his command is going to be key for his entire professional career. So a nice, simple, easy place to work on that would be St. Lucie. And last but not least is Robert Dominguez. And he had arm surgery. There's not a lot of info out there as to what exactly the issue was. But whatever it was, suffice to say, he's not going to be starting the season next week. Um, he only has a handful of innings in the complex league last year. So whatever surgery it was, um, if it was minor enough, minor enough for him to get back on the field this year, I assume whatever innings he does pitch will be for the uh, FCL Mets again. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, and I'm back now to go through the top 25 prospects on where they're probably going to land. Going to try to work in some comments about what I'd like to see them uh, improve on at each level here. Um, And we'll start from the bottom. Uh, So number 25, Robert Dominguez. And immediately I don't know what to do because I admitted when we did our top 25 that I don't think Dominguez is a prospect of note anymore. I think all the hype we heard last year is mostly nonsense. I... I'd probably send him back to the complex. He was really bad, like really bad. Um, the fastball backed up too. The command's bad. So I think uh, Dominguez probably should go back to the complex. I think that's what the Mets will do. I'd like to see him improve his command more. Um, Levi David didn't pitch after being drafted, I believe. Um, would love to see him start the year in advance day with a, a quick push if he does well. Uh, really excited to see his secondaries, which uh, I've heard uh, from a couple guys over at Baseball America have have looked pretty crisp um, this spring. Carlos Cortez, I think he's going to start the year in Double A, just due to some of the major league depth guys that are in Triple A. Um, I don't know what I really want to see Carlos Cortez work on. Like he kind of is what he is. It'd be nice if he could get his average up a little. Like he needs to push the knobs a little higher in either average or power. If he does one of those, he might be something of more interest. But for now, I, I don't have a huge amount of interest in following him. So just just overall, I'd like his offensive profile to be a little bit more appealing. Uh, Travis Blankenhorn who I've gone on about enough at this point, but he's definitely going to start the year in AAA. I'd like to see some more consistent power output from him. I think it's, I think it's in his swing. Um, I don't, I'm not too concerned about him hitting lefties. I don't think that's ever going to happen, nor do I think he needs to. I think he's headed for like a platoon bench roll, but I'd like to see a little bit more consistent over the fence power. 
Uh, Junior Santos. I don't know, dude. Actually strike someone out, maybe, and probably going to go back to A-ball. I, again, am not a big Junior Santos fan. Uh, Brian Matoyer, uh, he touched double A at the end of last year. I think that's where he starts. And the thing for him is command. So just keep the walks down and let that big time curveball play up, right? Kind of one of those dudes you just want to say, throw it in the middle of the strike zone and let the movement do the work. Uh, Thomas Sapucky, man. Uh, he's opening, he's going to be the opening day starter for triple A. So that's fun. Um, I don't know what to make of Thomas Sapucky. Just stay healthy, please. And I, and I, maybe some of the zip comes back if he's healthy for longer, but I don't know how much you can expect, but with Sapucky, it's just stay healthy, please. Um, moving up, Josh Walker. Uh, yeah, Josh Walker, much like Blankenhorn and I guess Cortez to an extent, it's like, you don't really need to improve anything. You kind of are what you are. Just keep, uh incrementally making everything a little bit better like no don't need to drastically change anything again with any pitcher more strikeouts would be great mornings would be great he's a serviceable depth guy um let's see what happens uh jose buto i think will start the year double a but could have a, a quick push up to triple a uh, look if he keeps those peripherals rolling from last year which i will pull up in just a moment here um then then the Mets have something I'm not the biggest Jose Buto fan I'm also not one of his biggest detractors I know some people out there really are I mean he had 11.1 k9 and two walks per nine in, in double a last year um so keep that up honestly um I don't, don't know too much that there's much more to say about Jose Buto uh, Dominic Camel was one of my spicy, I think he was my mild or spicy prediction. I think he's on, could be a potentially elite relief prospect. What I'm really excited to see are the metrics on some of his secondaries. Um, didn't really pitch, uh, a, a lot. I think I'd like to see him start an advanced day and then get a quick push to double A if he's doing well. Want to see lots of strikeouts basically. And I think it's in there. I think with the fastball and curveball he has, um, there's a real possibility that he can just carve up uh, advanced day, make guys look bad real quick and be out of there by June and hopefully be doing the same thing in double A. So I'm excited to see what happens there. Um, really, it's difficult to say like in detail what I want him to work on because we haven't seen him at, at the pro level yet. Right. So I want to part one, I want to see the things that uh, are possibly in that profile pop out and then we can quibble about what needs to improve. Adam Oller has been traded, so we will skip him. I, he's going to make the opening day roster for Oakland, which is awesome. I was ironically more annoyed they dealt him than JT Ginn. Um, I think Oller might have really pop uh, and be a number four or five starter, but as I wrote in the grading article for that, uh, the Mets aren't in a spot to, to, to really give him that chance, given what they're contending or hoping to contend for. Um, so all the best to him. Hope it works out. Uh, Jake, Jake Mangum. So I think they're going to start him in double A, uh, just because you have most of the major league outfield depth in triple A, uh, Jankowski and then the two other outfielders will get up to a little further up the list. Um, I don't know that, again, I don't know that there's anything for me to say that Mangum needs to improve on, right? I would like, Basically, he just needs to consolidate his gains from last year, right? If he's going to have, he went from no power to having enough power to be semi-viable. So I want him to start in double A, uh, show us that, that three, those 300 plate appearances were real amounts of production, and then do the same thing at triple A, because at that point, he's basically a major league ready bench outfielder, and that's more than I ever thought we'd get from him. Um, 
So he just needs a consolidation year rather than, look, if he wants to become an ultra power hitter, yeah, that'd be great. But I don't, I, realistically, what he needs to do is just consolidate the gains from last year, uh, focus on carrying it through to AAA when he inevitably gets a shot there. Uh, who's next after Mangum? Eric Orzi. Eric Orzi, yeah, I think he's going to be an up and down guy. He's going to be in AAA. There's no no doubt in my mind about that. Um I would like. I mean, the thing with him is just keep the walks down a little bit more. So he had a, a, a BB nine of five in AAA, but his his control was pretty pristine in in Double uh, A. So uh, maybe this is just a small sample size fluctuation in in a very brief AAA sample. Um, but I want him to get that control. Basically, demonstrate that you can put up high level strikeout to walk ratios because. Frankly, that's the most important thing for uh, a relief prospect. So demonstrate that he can do that in AAA. And before long, he's going to be in the, the Major League bullpen. I don't think there's any question about that. Calvin Ziegler. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with him. Maybe they send him to the complex leagues first. I would like to see a more aggressive push to, to A-ball. Um, but uh, this is something that... that it's really hard to criticize the Mets from the outside about this, right? Especially with these prep arms. That's a very uh, developmentally driven decision. Like a college arm, there's generally like, okay, you're on a bit of a clock. You have to go to a at advanced A or double A immediately. Plus, you have more data. We have more data about those college arms, so we can make more informed comments about where we think they should go. Uh, Calvin Ziegler, the the information disparity is much bigger. We don't know what he's been doing on the backfields or uh, like on in private practices for the Mets. Like we don't have that information. So I'd expect him to, to go to the complex first, I think, but we should see him in A-ball if he does well. Um, what to work on for Siegler? Again, someone who we just haven't seen uh, uh, for a while. Um, so it's, we have, we basically haven't seen him pitch in pro ball. So there's no like baseline that I want to see him improve on. Uh, so let's just say that it'd be nice to see him show up and, and shove. Like I just be good against these guys. And to me, the most important thing for these sorts of players is just strike out a bunch of guys without walking the world, and I'll be pretty interested. Um, so just just uh, have to see him on the field first. Hayden Sanger, I think he's going to go to... That's a tough one, actually, right? Because... Um, I'm going to say double A because he didn't spend a ton of time there, and I don't... Oh, but they might push... Alvarez there initially. See, this was tough, right? Because Sanger's Sanger's destination is almost more dependent on where Alvarez is than where you want Sanger, right? Because you don't Sanger's good enough that you want him getting full time plate appearances to be your future backup or something, but you're not going to prioritize him over Alvarez, right? So if Alvarez is ready for Double A, then Sanger's going to Triple A. Um, spoiler, I think. Alvarez is going to be at least start the year at advanced day. That's my guess, but I don't know. Um, they might have they might have actually kind of indicated that he's going to go to double A, in which case Sanger will go to triple A. Um, this is a long way of saying it's going to be double A or triple A for Hayden Sanger. Um, what does he have to work on? I mean, I just want to see the 
We've seen good defensive metrics from him, but the catcher defensive metrics basically stabilize. They're more and more stable the higher you are in the minors. So I'd like to see those high-level defensive metrics uh, at AAA um, because that that's going to be his calling card, right? If he could hit a little better, that's fine. But I'm I'm of the mindset that I want my backup catcher to kind of be uh, defensively inclined, at least as lo- uh, as long as we don't have robotic umpires. So look, if he if he can put up a 90 weight in in AAA or something with elite defensive metrics, I'm all in on it. Uh, be nice if he could strike out less. Not the most important thing for me, frankly. Um, yeah, that's a tough one because I do think he needs more double A time. But if they have a DH, I guess, but you don't really want either of them to not be catching. It's a bit of a dilemma. Um, so, well, that that's like the the one I'm really I've struggled with the most on this list. Okay, Jalen Palmer. Oh man, Jalen Palmer. I think you got to send him back to to Brooklyn. Uh, he was not good. Um, the strikeout, like it seems like he's trying to cut down his swing to avoid strikeouts and still striking out a lot. He struck out 40% of the time in Brooklyn in 170 plate appearances. So send him back. Hopefully it's a little bit better. I'm a little bit out on Palmer, unfortunately. I was very in on him and the, the strikeouts have me real concerned. If you can improve, that'd be great. I mean, that's the thing to improve is strikeout less than 38% of the time. It's kind of a prerequisite to do anything else. Um, and then, I mean, or, I mean, alternatively, just if you're going to strike out that much, all right, you might as well be swinging for the fences. So go full like Soily Matias or something like that. But uh, I don't know that he has that much power in the I mean, I know he doesn't have that much power in the frame. So um, uh, let's see uh, see if you can get that strikeout right down. Otherwise, he's going to be uh, going out like Shervian Newton. Pour, pour one out for your boy, Shervian Newton. Uh, okay. Uh, next up, we have Alexander Ramirez, the Met. Um, I think they sent him back to A-ball. Um, he was, he, his A-ball performance was, was, I think, better than the stats would indicate, and the stats weren't bad. Um, uh, and also recall he had that weird day-night dichotomy, um, where he, based on his vision, he was really struggling in night games. That might have just been a, an adjustment thing. Maybe he needed some vision help, like glasses or nighttime contact, something like that. If you remember, Josh Hamilton had similar issues during the day because of his eyes, apparently. Um, so point being, I, I'd just like to see what that trend looks like. But really, just consolidate the gains you made last year. Be a little bit better at double A. Or excuse me, at at a, a ball, he's not going to double. I mean, what I the ideal season for Alexander Ramirez to me, uh, at least a realistic ideal season would be half a season in A ball. That's good. Half a season in uh, advanced A. That's less good. And then you just kind of repeat this pattern for a couple of years, and before you know it, he's a, a a nice high level prospect at the top of your farm system. Um. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to check. I, I'd like to see more power, and then also get that vision thing figured out, please. Um. Yeah. Uh, Nick Plummer. So yeah, Nick Plummer, I'm actually have gotten more and more excited about. He's going to be a triple A um, as one of the uh, three Mets uh, reserve outfielders. His triple A performance last year was really exciting. It was only a hundred plate appearances, but he walked more than he struck out. Didn't hit it for a lot of power, but if you're walking that much and you can play some defense, you can run, you have a little power. That's a really exciting profile. Now, he hit for more power in double A, but also struck out a lot more. So this is after going through a swing change during the pandemic. So I'd really like to know what the real plumber is here. I imagine it's somewhere in between. Um, 
Basically, I just want him to put up a good line without striking out 30% of the time, right? If he does that, then he's a real player. He's a real fourth outfielder. He might even be a real starter at some point. Um, on the other hand, if he just keeps walking more than he strikes out, uh, it sees a lot more than that. So um, really, I just want him to, to see where the, the strikeout rate winds up, and hopefully he maintains the, the, the improvement he made in that front uh, uh, from last year, and the Mets haven't just been duped by another uh, minor league free agent. Uh, oh boy, Sam McWilliams. Poor guy had the yips and then stepped away from baseball. But, I mean, you're hoping that isn't the situation, and I don't think it is here. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited for Plummer. Khalil Lee, who I'm also real excited for. Just just strike out less, please. Please just strike out less. He's obviously going to AAA. He kind of destroyed AAA at a 160 weighted last year, but was striking out 30% of the time. And we all saw how well that worked at the major league level when he got here. Um... Yeah, I just needs to strike out. If he if he could just get it down to like, if it could be thirty percent in the majors, which realistically means it needs to be something like twenty five to twenty seven in AAA, I think there's enough other tools to be excited about there. Um, so just just work on the strike, just get the strikeout rate down a little bit, just a little bit, please. We're not asking for too much, or I'm not asking for too much. Um, yeah, that's the the very obvious answer for uh, Galili. Uh, JT Ginn is gone. Good luck. Matthew Allen, all I have in my notes is a sad face. Hopefully he goes to, like, Brooklyn when he's healthy. We'll see. Mark Vientos will go to uh, AAA. Um, most interesting thing for me there is, is how is he going to do against premium velocity? Like, that's been the major concern with Vientos for years, is that he's not going to be able to handle premium velocity. Um, he struck out a lot in double A. He struck out even more in a very, very small triple A sample that I'm not going to read too much into. So uh, how, how is, how was this bat going to play against like, re- like basically how's the 95 and the slider major league level reliever going to treat Vientos? Because the, the people who have poo-pooed Vientos for years have, have uh, theorized that, that basically that guy's going to carve him up and he's going to start running into that profile more in AAA. So let's see how he handles that. Uh, much like Lee, I wanted him to get that strikeout rate down more around 25%. Um, but we'll see if he can actually manage that. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets some major league time this year either, but he's, he'll start the year in AAA. Ronnie Mauricio. I don't want, I don't want Ronnie Mauricio on this team is the answer. Unfortunately, um, Let's put it this way. I want to see Ronnie Mauricio make uh, 20th percentile swing decisions instead of first percentile swing decisions. Because right now he's making first percentile swing decisions. Which is to say, he's making just about the worst swing per- swing decisions of anyone in the minor leagues. Or certainly anyone notable. Um, so he's got to improve on that. He'll start the year in double A, I suspect. Though, honestly, I don't know that he did well enough in single in advanced A to merit that, but it sure seems like he's on track to, to start the season in double A. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you do with Mauricio at this point. I'm really a, a little disappointed they didn't find a way to trade him, but it seems like everyone, or maybe the rest of baseball, is as low on him as I am. Uh... Brett Beatty. Oh, Brett Beatty is going to start in double A. He's going to torch them and he's going to be in triple A before too long. I fully suspect that. Um, everyone is going to say they want to see him lift more. Um, 
I'm going to say I want to see him pull more, honestly, because he has that really great oppo power, but I'd like to see him pull the ball more uh, and then improve the defense, you know, just general stuff. I'm fully confident in Brett Beatty. I really am excited to see Beatty uh, mash his way through double A and get to triple A and then hopefully even get some, ma- like, I would expect him to get some major league time this year. And, and I'm I'm, ex- I'm very interested to see how that works out, but he'll start in double A uh, and then work his way up. And now we get to Alvarez, and yeah, I don't quite know what you do with Alvarez, because he was really, really good for Brooklyn last year. Um, it's definitely slowed down a little bit at the end. It was only 300 plate appearances, and he only hit 250, right? He hit 247, 351, 538, right? That's that's a 130 weighted for a, a young, for 20-year-old, 19, 20-year-old catcher. That's incredible. I think, personally, I'd start him at Brooklyn again and then have a quick trigger to push him up to to Binghamton because I'd rather be a little too conservative but be ready to go quickly rather than go too quickly and have to drop him back down Um, so at least for me I would start him in Brooklyn but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they send him to Binghamton and just to loop this back into Sanger basically wherever Alvarez starts I would have Sanger one level up So if Alvarez is in Brooklyn, I'd have Sanger in Binghamton. And if Alvarez is in Binghamton, then Sanger goes to Syracuse because I want both of them catching full time. Um, So yeah, that's the top 25. Just closing comments on how good I think the teams will be. A-ball, I don't really know or care how good that team will be. Uh, Brooklyn, I'm not super optimistic, honestly. Uh, The Mets do have a lot of interesting low-level guys, but... The placement and performance of those guys is so variable that I don't know what to expect out of the the Brooklyn Cyclones this year. Uh, They definitely will have a couple interesting... The most interesting guys on that roster are ones that I think should be pushed out quickly, right? Like Hamill, David, Alvarez, I think. uh, And and then there's also Palmer, and I don't know what you do with Palmer. Jose Peroza. So I don't know. I don't think that roster is going to be particularly good. I do think the AA and AAA teams will actually be pretty decent. Uh, the AAA team has good prospects. They have Vientos, they have Lee, they have Plummer. Uh, they have some interesting relief guys. They they have plenty of uh, upper depth, upper minors level uh, depth guys. I think that's going to be a good roster, even if it doesn't have necessarily the high end top twenty prospects. Um, but Beatty will get there eventually, so I think that's going to be a good good roster. I also think the same with double A. Honestly, I think there's some interesting guys there who are, are established performers. Um, Beatty will help them out early on. And by the time Beatty leaves, I think Alvarez will be coming in. So uh, there's going to be some star power there. Um, Mangum might wind up staying there for longer than you'd expect just because of the outfield depth in triple A. Uh, so I think the triple the A Syracuse and double A Binghamton teams will be good. And then the other two teams will be meh or bad. But again, who cares about them, really? Um, so yeah, that wraps up uh, where I think the top 25 guys are going to wind up. Coming in at number five on our list is Robert Dominguez. And for Robert Dominguez and Levi David, while I think they will go to different places, I think Dominguez will go to rookie ball because he's so young. And I think Levi David will go to Brooklyn or at least and pitch the majority of his time in Brooklyn if he starts in St. Lucie. Um. I just want to see them on the field in a major league in a professional capacity because we just haven't really seen it from them. There's about like 15 total combined innings between the two. It's at the end of the day, um, 
we don't know what they, we could, we could pipe dream about what they are with their stuff and small samples or from college or from what the Mets are telling us, but really we got to see them pitch for ourselves. And that's really what I want to see from them. Um, Carlos Cortez and Travis Blankenhorn are very similar in the fact that they will both be in Syracuse and both be starters for them. And hopefully we don't need to see much of them in New York because that means the bench is playing well and there's not a lot of injuries, but I just want to see them both continue to, I want to see them hit the ball more basically. They both have averages that kind of sit around the 250s in the minor leagues. And while that's perfectly fine, like if someone comes up and hits 250 in the majors, it's not the end of the world because batting average isn't the best stat. Also, if you're hitting 250 in AAA, that means you're probably not hitting 250 in the majors. You're probably hitting less than that. And that makes it really hard for you to be a rosterable bench bat. Um, even with the DH and the lack of designated hitters, you still need to be able to be a competitive at bat up there when you do play. So for both of them, I just want to see more bats to ball. Junior Santos is an interesting case where I think he goes to Binghamton and I think he finally needs to start giving the results that we want to see out of him. The Mets have been very aggressive with him and I, it's an interesting case because I don't really know why considering they sometimes can be very conservative with other players who are similar, but he was always one of the youngest players in the league and he always kind of hung around league average. And while that's fine for being one of the youngest players in the league and doing that year in and year out, you want to start seeing a little bit better results to come with the stuff because otherwise, no matter how good the stuff is, if you're not getting the results, then how good is the stuff actually in a game setting? But of course, he's very young, so there's plenty of time for that. But really, I just want to see him play. I, I, I Not play more. I want to see him play to the... I want to see him start being a little above average because once you start seeing that, then you could start dreaming on him being a bullpen piece or rotation depth, depth or whatever it may be. Brian Matoyer is probably, I would say, going to end up in double A to start the season. Um, let me see where he ended last year. Oh, yeah, he will be in double A. He might even end up with sometimes in triple A. Um, but, um, Yeah, really, with Matoyer, it's about control. It's about controlling his pitches. While his stuff is very interesting, and his while his stuff is interesting, and it's very spinny, and it's very Seth Lugo-y, and then it's a big spinny curveball that everyone loves that stuff, um, he needs to start putting it in the zone and start throwing it at least semi-competitively for strikes. And he started to do that last year. He really cut down his walks last year, and that's a great sign. And that's a sign that if he starts growing on that, then you could really see him as a next big time, not big time bullpen guy, but someone who is a controllable, optionable bullpen arm. And they really need that. Like one of the biggest problems of the Mets all off season was that their entire bullpen is like 30 year old guys who, if you need to make a change, you have to DFA them. And it's a whole thing. And they need optionable arms to do that because that's just the name of the game in 2022. And if he continues to keep his, to cut down on the walks. I could see that happening, but that's what I want to see from him is continuing that. The next three guys are in the same boat because I think they will end up in the same, well, not I think, I know they will end up in the same place, all in AAA, all in Syracuse, and they will be part of the same rotation, but they all have different things to them. Thomas Apucky at 19 needs to stay on the field. He's going to be their opening day starter in Syracuse. He's going to be a big deal for them. He's going to be one of their stalwarts and if they're good or not and really he just never plays and it ruins his prospect profile at this point like he could still redeem himself with that it's not his fault that he keeps getting hurt 
but also he needs to start staying on the field. Otherwise, I don't really know what you do with him. If he has another season where he's constantly hurt or missing a lot of time and has a big elbow injury or a shoulder, then you got to start wondering if he's ever going to stay healthy. He, he needs to just prove that he can. Um, Josh Walker at 18 missed a lot of time early in his career and really revived his – it was kind of an opposite of the pucky thing where he missed time with a, with a car accident and then he had the COVID year where no one saw him. And then he kind of burst back onto the scene and people started to see that he there's something there maybe. But for him, he was really good until he got Syracuse where he had a five ERA in 50 innings. And while, of course, it's 50 innings and he played in Brooklyn and Binghamton before that, so that's a lot of moving around and that's a lot of IRL tough things to go through and a lot of moving and a lot of stress to figure out where you're living and all that stuff with how the minor leagues are. He's pitch better at Syracuse. If he does, then he starts getting into the conversation as a guy who might get called up if guys get hurt. He might be a conversation or a guy who's shifting to the bullpen if his stuff is good. Like, he just needs to start pitching better to, at the AAA level. And it's understandable. He saw ex-major leaguers and guys who have been around the block and guys who are constantly in, who are constantly up and down or stuff like that. Where in high A and double A, he's seen prospects, just kids who haven't been there yet. So it's a different ballgame at AAA, but also he needs to start pitching better in it. And of course, it's only 15. Jose Buto needs to figure out a other pitch that isn't his changeup. His changeup is very good. His changeup is one of the better pitches in the system, but that's really his bread and butter, and that's it. He has a fastball that sits high 80s, low 90s, and can top 95, and has he has a curveball, and he has other stuff. And it's not like he just throws a changeup all the time, but also he could spam that changeup in the minor leagues and really dominate. And he has. He's pitched very well, and that's been the strategy. But... You can't do that in the major leagues. You can't be a one, if you're going to be a one pitch pitcher, it's not going to be a changeup. It's just not the guys like Trevor Hoffman are rare, and he also probably had other not probably he had other pitches. Like it's not like I'm saying he just do circle changes constantly, but like Johan Santana was a primarily changeup guy, but he had a lot of other stuff. And I'm not saying Jose Buto is going to be the next Johan, but that's the type of thing that I'm saying. Like if you're going to be a one pitch pitcher, it's rare for it to be a changeup. It has to be really special, and you have to have other stuff alongside it even then. And if he develops that at, at Syracuse, I don't know if he'll ever be a starter. I don't in the majors. I don't project him to that. But if you get a fastball that's a little better, or if you get another breaking pitch, then I can see him being a strong bullpen guy with a changeup. That's very interesting because that's rare. Um, next on our list is Dominic Hamill. Dominic Hamill, like um, they just drafted him, and he has not pitched much professionally, and I just want to see that because otherwise, because um, otherwise. We're going to, we just, we don't know what he is. Um, Adam Aller is not in the system anymore, so good luck to him in Oakland. I think he made the opening day roster for them, which is great. Kudos to him. I know that team is very bad, but that's still awesome for him. Jake Mangum is going to start in Syracuse, and he should start in Syracuse. He was very good last year, which is kind of a surprise to a lot of us, except Steve. But um, Mangum just needs to start hitting, not start hitting because he, he did it, but he needs to continue that power stroke that he found. Well, it's not a strong power stroke. It's not going to be like, he's not going to hit like 30 home runs or even 15 or 20, maybe not even 10, but because he hit nine last year. Really, I just want to see him. I just want to see him um, continue that because that's going to be like the name of the game if he is a fourth outfielder in the major leagues or if he's just a quad A guy who never really gets to be able to get a shot because. If he is that type of player, 
if he does have that power, or at least a little inkling of power, then he'll actually be able to be a, I don't want to say Alvin, uh, Alvin Amora type, because that's a little lazy, but that's the type of guy that I see, like a strong defender, and a, he's a little faster than he was, than Almora is, but a strong defender who could contribute with the bat a little bit, and you really have him rostered as your fourth outfielder because of the defense and the base running and everything else. So, which is not a bad player to roster. And they, I mean, look at the Mets roster right now. Like, if Mangum was a little more ready, then he would be Travis Jankowski, and that would be probably preferable to that. So, finding a fourth outfielder who could play all three spots and play them well is tough sometimes. Um, coming in next is another guy who will be in Syracuse and will be very interesting for Syracuse and will almost certainly be a major leaguer this year in Eric Orzi. Um, Orzi was really good last year um, in every level that he pitched at. It looks like he really turned the corner and solidified himself as the guy who was going to be called up. He might be the first arm called up um, because I think he's going to have a actual role for the 2022 Mets. I would be surprised if he doesn't. Um, yeah, he just needs to start. He Not start. He needs to continue his consistency that he found last year. Um, he's going to get a lot of hitters out in the minor leagues and the major leagues with his splitter, and he just needs to keep throwing it and keep it and keep it happening. And he started to throw everything a little harder, which is nice with the mechanical tweaks and added muscle growth and everything else. So if he continues that, maybe even I'm not saying he's going to add even more velo because it might not be possible, but he could be a very competitive pitcher in the major leagues and in Syracuse. He's going to be one of their shutdown relievers. Next after him is Calvin Ziegler, who, like a few other people on this list, we have not seen much of him as a professional. We need to see him as a professional. That's really what I want to see out of him. I think he's going to end up, I could see him starting in, not see him, I can see him starting in St. Lucie because he's so young. They drafted him out of, out of high school. But um, he could end up in Brooklyn very easily if he has a strong minor league uh, start to his minor league career. Um. Jalen Palmer is going to repeat Brooklyn. I'm almost positive because of how bad he was in Brooklyn. He only hit like 180 down there. Um, he just needs to hit the ball more. <laughs> like, I know that's a funny thing to say, and you could say that about everyone, but his basketball needs to grow. He needs to strike out less. He needs to hit the ball in the air more. There's a lot of stuff that I want to see from him. I really want to see him cut out on the strikeouts, and I really want to see him just – get his bat to ball way better than it was because his Mets career started and what got him on the map was him hitting 310, 394, 414. And then every year after that, his batting averages have fallen and his sluggings kind of stayed the same. Um, but you really want to see him start to, you really want to see him start to walk more, strike out less and make more contact. Because if you start doing all that with his speed, and his ability to move all over, all over the diamond, he could be like a chess piece for managers in the future. But also, he's very young. Like I said, it's there's no rush with him. If he doesn't do that, he might fall out of the top 10 because of how many draft picks the Mets have that are first-rounders, and if Conforto signs, then another one would be added to that, which is not necessarily his fault, but also I'd like to see the bats ball grow. Alexander Ramirez is very interesting in that he was very young. He was one of the only 18-year-olds in his league, one of three with Jason Dominguez and Alexander Mojica. And he was good, like good for what he was. He was about league average. Um, he struck out a ton, 104 times in 76 games. I want to see him cut out the strikeouts. If you cut out the strikeouts, then 
you can really start to see the rest of it blossom. Because cut out the strikeouts, that means you're making more contact or walking more. That means the on-base or average grows and the slugging grows. And you know how it goes, obviously. That's not very rocket science. Um, I also want to see him start to hit the ball up in the air a little more. Um, he had a high ground ball rate. He needs to continue to cut that out, and which is what he did. He started to grow it. Um, that started to grow. So, or shrink. His ground ball rate started to shrink. So, like, it's just something that he's very young, very raw, and he will probably go to Brooklyn because he held his own in low A. I don't think they will let him re- make him repeat it because I feel like it's kind of a waste of time. He might start there and have a hot two months to move up like a Francisco Alvarez did because he was too good for the league. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Francisco Alvarez but as a prospect, but also it's kind of the similar path that they could send him on, starting him in low A and bringing him up quick, having a quick trigger with him. Um, now that we're into the top eight, we're starting to get guys who could possibly see major league time this year outside of a few. Nick Plummer and Khalil Lee kind of occupy the same role in that they are going to be one of the top guys who are called up if stuff goes awry in the outfield. Nick Plummer, I want to see him prove that his last year was not a fluke because he had some very poor numbers before the COVID year. And then the Cardinals totally fixed the swing. And then he came out of the COVID year looking like an actual major league contributor. Um, I just want to see him prove that that year was the real Nick Plummer and that all the swing changes stuck and fixed. And they obviously stuck in game because I've seen him play in swing training and it's the same swing that he had last year. It's just I want to see that the results will come with the swing change and that the results weren't just a fluky one-year thing. Khalili, um, I want to see the swings decisions keep getting better and better because I feel like once he struck out a million times in New York and realized that what it's like in the major leagues, he really went down to AAA and just walked a ton. He became a walking machine. And while I don't think he'll ever have a huge batting average, I don't think he's that type of guy, even in the major league or even in AAA. Like I'm not, I don't think his bat to ball is going to be his game. I think it's going to be a power speed walking type threat. And if he could do all three of those things, he could be like a low end starter, high end backup type guy. Um, plenty of guys in the major leagues have low batting average and are good players because they walk and they hit for power. And I think Khalili could be that type of guy with his speed and his defense. It's a very interesting package. He just needs to continue to make those good swing decisions. Um, next on our list is JT Ginn, who is no longer here. Um, shout out JT Ginn. I hope he ends up having a good career in Oakland because that'd be great for him. Um, but yeah, for our purposes, he is not on our list anymore. Um, next on our list after him is top. We're into the top five now is Matthew Allen. And Matthew Allen is, I hope he doesn't play this year. And I mean that in the nicest way possible, uh, because of the Tommy John and then the, the, then the nerve surgery that, which name always escapes me. But DeGrom had it and Max had it. And while it's not the biggest deal in the world, um, it's also something that many guys come back from and are probably he's probably going to be fine. In terms of that, it's that it probably it pushes his time by timeline back enough where I hope I don't see him. I could see him going to Brooklyn as like some type of light inning stuff like JT Ginn, but even then he's had that extra surgery added on. And it happened, I think, in January or December, I can't remember, off the top of my head. But that probably should pre- preclude him from pitching any meaningful time in 2022 and then just getting him set for 2023 where he could start rebuilding his prospect cachet. Mark Vientos at four. I want to see his bat-to-ball skills increase, although I'm a little worried that that's his big flaw as a prospect. 
Um, the defense, I don't think will ever be amazing, but I think it'll be serviceable enough if the bat, if he hits for, if he hits for power and there's a DH in the major leagues now. So you could kind of hide that. But really, I want to see that also the second half of Vientos' 2021 is the real Vientos and not that porous first few months where he was just really bad and just looked like he wasn't even competitive at double A. I think he goes to triple A because if he goes to triple A and someone who I'll talk about very soon and Brett Bain, he goes to double A that gives both guys space to play. Um, I hope he goes to triple A and is part of a good triple A lineup with Lee and Plummer and a few other guys like that and Mangum. And he's like a part of the order guy for them and really is in a place to get used to batting with runners in scoring position and facing better pitching and making good swing decisions and hopefully hitting for more power. Coming in at three is Juan Mauricio, who should go to Binghamton. I do not think he's ready to go to Syracuse, and I really want to see him make better swing decisions. I think that's the biggest flaw in his game and what's holding him back as a really good prospect because I think his tools are very strong. I think he has the ability to do a lot of things, like very special things on a baseball field. I still think he could play shortstop, even though in the Mets, that's not for the Mets, that's not going to be a thing ever because of Lindor. He should he. The defense is not really what I'm concerned with him about. You could find a place for him. He could play the outfield. He could play third or second because they're starting to give him an outfielder's glove, and that's pretty interesting considering his athleticism. But he got to make better swing decisions. He has very poor ones, and if that never comes, then I worry that it ultimately stops him from being a productive major leaguer because. Really, if he's making poor swing decisions in double A and low A like he did last year, he could get away with it because of his pure talent. He's just better than other people, but he won't be better than other people in the majors. Like, that's just not how life works. So he needs to start reining himself in a little bit. And if he does, then I think he could be a really strong prospect, but that's going to be a big question mark for him. Coming in at two is Brett Beatty, who should go to Binghamton, and he should continue to hit the baseball in the air. I know that's a, that was a big topic of concern for him that he only hits the ball on the ground, even though it was like 58%. I do not care. I do not think it's a big deal, but other people do. And I understand why. And I think he needs to actually, he, he does need to start putting the ball in the air because he has a ton of natural power and he could really translate that into game power and be a, he's already a very good prospect where he could be an even better one if he does that. And Francisco Alvarez, number one, our top prospect. Oddly, I want to see his defense improve. Um, I don't think any of us are worried about his ability to hit the baseball. I think he he's one of the best hitting prospects in the game. He does a lot of amazing things hitting the ball. He destroyed baseballs last year, and I think that will continue. But if he starts bringing his defense along, like I think that he can, and even if he ends up a solid to good, not even amazing, I don't think he's going to be Yadier Molina or Jacob Stallings or insert your favorite best defensive catcher here. His bat should more than make up for that. And if I just want to see that defense get better and better because that's the thing that holds catching prospects back. While I don't think that the Mets will or the Mets will or should hold him back if he's raking and he's not the greatest defensive catcher in the world, they will probably carry three catchers in a year or two and rotate them and let him DH and all that stuff. Him getting better at being a catcher will make everything easier. And I think that's what he should really strive for. In terms of how these teams will go, I could see St. Lucie being pretty good because they there's always an influx of new young talent and the Mets will draft a bunch of, well, the draft is so late, it doesn't matter. But I could see St. Lucie being pretty good. Brooklyn should be able to pitch this year and not hit too well, which is the total opposite of last year. Binghamton, I think, is going to be bad because there's very 
Beatty and Alvarez are really good, and the rest of it is just a lot of organizational depth. It's not to be mean or anything, but that's just what it is. And Syracuse, I could see them kind of being good because they have a lot of decent talent and guys who are like quad A players, but also that's everyone in the league. So I'm curious to see how Syracuse does, but I just don't think the records will really show a ton of improvement over last year, even though it won't be as bad. It's not going to be awful where these teams are all terrible because I think one of the big problems with how bad those teams were is that all of Syracuse was in Queens and then all of AA were in AAA and it was a whole cascading effect with how hurt the Mets were. But I think they'll be kind of average, a lot of average baseball teams with a few who are gunning for playoff spots. Hey everybody, welcome back. And I want to introduce a guest that we have now at this time. He was selected by the Mets in the 40th round of the 2018 draft. He spent this past season, mainly with the Brooklyn Cyclones, where he posted a 218 ERA in 33 innings. He is right-handed pitcher Brian Machuire. Brian, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate you for having me. So first thing, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what, what were you like growing up? What got you into baseball? All that kind of stuff. Uh, well, I'm from Niagara, Louisiana, small town. Uh, not a lot to go on goes on there, so uh, fell in love with baseball pretty quick. Um, for as long as I can remember, I I played baseball and like played the game. But I think my my grandpa had a big influence on me getting into the game. Uh, watching games with him growing up, uh, just fell in love with it. it's all I it's all I knew, all I saw. So I know you were a Cubs fan. That's not. That's, you know, yeah. Chicago's not too close to Louisiana. So yeah. how'd, you become a, no, it's not. <laughs> how'd you become a Cubs fan? Uh, again, my, my grandfather, he was a, he's a big Cubs fan. And uh, he loved uh, Kerry Woods, Sammy Sosa, and Carlos Zambrano, those, those guys. And uh, so I grew up watching a lot, a lot of Cubs games. Hmm. So obviously you're a pitcher, but what would be your – Favorite position if you were a position player? Where would you want to play? Um, I would have to say center field. Play center field in high school. Um, you know, I just, you know, uh, throwing dudes out, you know what I mean? That's pretty fun. I enjoyed it in high school. You know, I would like to get that feeling again. <laughs> All right. So let's fast forward to draft day 2018. Were yeah. you expecting to be selected? Um, I knew it was a possibility. Not can't say that I knew it was for sure gonna happen, but uh, I went to a pre-draft workout and did pretty well, so I knew there was there was a chance, you know, and uh, definitely very grateful that I got that the Mets gave me the opportunity. So you are the first person to be drafted directly out of <clears throat> LSU Alexandria. What was it like yeah. when you told your coaches and teammates and your family and, and everybody found out? Oh, man, it was it, it was exciting. I think everyone else was a lot more excited than I was. More more proud, really. Uh, put a lot of work in. Uh, come from a small town, went to small schools, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Definitely was good to see all that, like, pay off, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um. Andrew Mitchell, <clears throat> excuse me, Andrew Mitchell, he was drafted the same year as you. He's from New Orleans and a couple of other guys that the Mets picked in 2019, Nate Jones, Antoine Duplantis, they're also from Louisiana. Uh, Jones is from yeah. Newport, Duplantis is from Lafayette. 
did you ever run into those guys like during your little league days or high school or anything like that? Um, no, I never ran into them in around high in high school or anything. Uh, always knew of those guys and heard of them. Uh, I knew I played with dudes who have played with them, so like always heard their names. And Nate Jones actually went to the college in my hometown, so kind of clicked off of that automatically. Right. Are you guys like especially close since you're all from kind of the same? Same area, like the same things, that kind of stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's just like you said, I like the same things from the same area, so we kind of have the same feel about certain things. So it's good to have those type of people in the mm-hmm. locker room. Definitely. So after you were drafted, you spent most of that twenty eighteen season with Kingsport. What were some of the biggest differences that you noticed between being a college player and then being a professional player, even like at that low of a level in the minor leagues? Um, the biggest thing, the biggest change was just not to let the game get too big on me, you know, and just remember that you are playing a game and also just the competition, you know, the mistakes you made in college, you can't really get away with them anymore in, in uh, pro ball. So definitely have to up your game and, and learn how to pitch more, you know, and use your stuff to your advantage. Definitely had to limit the mistakes coming into pro ball for sure. All right. So the very next year, 2019, you spent the season with the Cyclones. And as a fan, you know, someone just watching, that was such a fun year. Obviously, they won the championship. What was it like to be on that team, to be in that dugout, on that field, in that clubhouse? Oh, man, it was it was it was electric. You know, it was was a good, good run, good group of dudes. Everybody meshed real well. There wasn't really any tension going on in the locker room. Everyone had that that good camaraderie, you know, and. it was fun. Like we we played every single game possible, all the way down to the last game of the year, and uh, very grateful to to be a part of that, you know, and get a a championship ring out of it. That was, that was my first championship ever, so it was very very special to be a part of. So you spent most of last season with Brooklyn again. Now they're a full season team, high A, and then mm-hmm. you spent a, a couple of innings with Binghamton. What? What are the biggest differences? You know, how do you have to prepare differently, mentally, physically, whatever, pitching over the course of a full season from April to September, as opposed to like a half season, like it was in Kingsport, like it used to be with the Cyclones? Yeah, um, definitely just have to uh, pay more close attention to like your body, your arm care, stuff like that. And also nutrition, sleep, and uh, definitely like, just resting for the most part and not trying to do too much. And, you know, cause it was a long season, you know, you want to make it through clean without any setbacks or anything. So definitely just taking care of yourself and, and, and taking it easy when, when it's time to. Right. Um, after the season ended last year, the Mets sent you to the Arizona fall league. Did you, yeah. had, did you have any idea that they were going to send you? And then, you know, when you, when you found out, how did it feel knowing that they believe in you and they want to see you against, you know, some of the best players in, in all of the minor leagues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea I was going to uh, go to the fall league. And when they, they called and told me, uh, it was very exciting very, very grateful to, to have that opportunity. And uh, it was great. The fall league was a, was a great experience. You know, um, I was glad that the Mets had wanted to see me and see how my stuff played uh against better competition and uh it was definitely a, a good 
growth opportunity as far as my, my game. Who do you think was the toughest hitter that you faced over there? Oof, the toughest hitter. The toughest hitter. Um, I would say Bryson Stott. He was he was a really good guy. He covered the play really well. It was hard to get certain things by him. He, he saw the ball real well. <laughs> good choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so in the AFL, we had some access to StatCast data. And according to the raw data, your curveball averaged 3,200 RPM. And that would put it on par with guys like Garrett Richards and Lucas Sims and Seth Lugo. Did you know that your curveball by the raw data is that good? Um, I knew I knew I could always spin it well. I didn't necessarily know it was, it was that good. But... Um... You know, it's definitely a pitch. I mean, it was my, my bread and butter, my go-to. You know, it was just something that's just – I was always, my entire life, just naturally able to, to spin it real well and uh, just kept using it to my advantage as my career went on. So, Yeah. I know you were also working on uh, change-up. And yeah. AFL, how's that coming along? Um, it's definitely coming along well. Um, it's been a pitch that I've been trying to get master for years now you know and everything takes time you know so just finding the the right I don't want to say grip but the right just you know just getting comfortable with it the right you know feel for it mm-hmm. so it's definitely coming along and uh, I'm like I like where it's at right now um so you had a little cup of coffee with Binghamton last year I'm assuming that you're mm-hmm. going to be starting there um in the upcoming 2020 season and you know the major leagues are getting pretty close has it you know crossed your mind yet that you a 40th round pick might be towing the rubber in a year or two in queens yeah it's it's definitely exciting to think about when you put it that way you know but for me i definitely just have to stay stay where my feet are you know and stay grounded and not try to think too far ahead or anything like that. I just definitely have to be where I'm at right now and, and, and take care of business. But yeah, it's, it's definitely getting close and, uh, you know, that, that's the goal. So, you know, just, it's good to see how, you know, things are playing out right now. Mm. All right. So I just want to wrap things up here. I want, I'm going to ask you the same thing. I ask all the guys I interview and I think that you'll have especially good insight into this because you spent two seasons in Brooklyn. Where is the best slice of pizza? Ooh, where is the best slice of pizza? Ah, oh, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I, each place has its own thing and its own thing about it that I like, like you know. So, I mean, it's it's hard to tell. I I, I just love the the pizza in Brooklyn in general. I, I'll put it that way. I can't oh. I can't pick a favorite. That's that's fair. It's understandable. <laughs> All right. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug before we go? Um, no, sir. I think, I think we're, you know, all right, sure, sure. So, um, Brian, thank you for joining us and good luck on the upcoming season. Yes, sir. I appreciate you for having me. All right. And that is our show for the week. So if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to Queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. 
and Thomas is at said Met season S Z N. Subscribe to our podcast, your podcast from rate and review it. And of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with some actual minor league baseball coverage to discuss. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Thank you.